Heavenly Father, it is such a blessing to have your word before us right now that here we have the voice of the living God, the one who created all things, who created us and knows how best we are to live if we are to enjoy this life and enjoy the next. Lord, we pray that you may give us wisdom as we look at your word together. We pray particularly for me that you may help me to speak your words and not mine. May you keep error far from my lips this morning and may I speak only what is true and pleasing in your eyes. And we pray for the people gathered here this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit may be working upon their hearts so that they are becoming more and more like your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, threats are a common thing. We are all scared of different things at different times. And one thing that I continue to get more and more uh, worried about, more concerned about, is the threat of homosexual marriage coming in and being a part of our uh, country here. Uh, This year, 2012, it's very likely that homosexual marriage, well, not very likely, there is the possibility uh, that it will become a part of Australian law. And once that happens, then it normalises homosexual behaviour. And anyone who doesn't uh, approve of homosexual marriage will become more and more marginalised. At first, I believe there will be religious exemptions, but as it becomes more and more mainstream, it will become uh, more and more looked down upon if you don't do homosexual marriages. And that will be particularly concerning for me uh, because I'll have to make a stand there. And I expect that maybe before I see the end of my life, I'll actually have to spend some time in jail, uh, that I'll make a stand to such a point that I am in prison for it, and uh, that is one way that I think I may be persecuted. And so it's a gathering threat. Every so often it seems to die down, but then it starts to resurface and come back up, and it's something that I am threatened by, and so I'm worried about. But it may be not so much a, a threat on your radar, but we do know about different threats in our lives, and you may be experiencing a threat at the moment. Uh, from someone or something coming towards you. And in the face of such threats, what are you to do? What are you to do when threatened? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. When a threat comes along, what are you supposed to do? And particularly, we're going to find out how to do uh, what we're supposed to do by looking at the example shown here in Isaiah, particularly with King Ahaz. We've been working through Isaiah for a while now, and we've come to chapter 7, of Isaiah, which is found on page 681, and I encourage you to have a black church Bible open if you have one there, or your own Bible, of course, uh, and follow along as we work from verse 1 through to the beginning of verse 4 this morning, looking at threats and our responses to those threats as they come. And so my first main point this morning is a threat comes to Jerusalem. I have my main points there on the back of the church bulletin for you to follow along. And my first is, a threat comes to Jerusalem. But probably before we look at the exact nature of that threat, I should give you a bit of background as to where Isaiah 7 fits into the history of the Bible. So of course, the Bible starts with Adam and Eve, and then from Adam and Eve you eventually get Abraham. Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has a son, Jacob. Jacob is also named Israel. From him come the 12 tribes of Israel. 
with his sons. And then, of course, they then move into the Promised Land. After a bit of time in Egypt, they have the exodus with Moses, go into the Promised Land, and you have the 12 tribes settled there in the Promised Land, and that becomes Israel. Then you have a king. Uh, First king is Saul. He doesn't last too long. Then you have King David. And King David is there with Israel united under him. Then he has a son, Solomon. And then after Solomon, unfortunately, what happens is the kingdom gets divided. Part of the kingdom goes and is the kingdom of Israel. The other part is the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. So you've got a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And that's after Solomon. And so then you have a series of kings moving along through history. A southern king, a northern king. Again and again and again. Some are bad. Well, a lot of bad. And some are good. And then you finally get to this point here in chapter 7 of Isaiah. And we see both kings represented here. We've got a king of Israel and we've got a king of Judah. And the king of Israel is... uh, Well, I'll do the king of Judah first because he comes up first in the text. 7 verse 1. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Isaiah, was king of Judah. So the southern kingdom king is Ahaz. And then you've got King Rezim of Aram and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel. So Pekah is the northern king. And there's another king that's mentioned there. He's the king of Aram. He's uh, King Rezin of Aram. Aram is an area over to the east, which is borders on Israel. And so Aram, the Arameans, often are coming over and causing trouble for the Israelites. And of course, the Israelites cause some trouble for the Arameans. Now, background that's going on here and why these kings are starting to unite and starting to cause problems for each other is because Assyria, which is up here in the north, is a nation that's becoming uh, quite powerful and quite nasty towards other people and it's starting to move down to the south. And of course what's in its path? The northern kingdom, Israel, Aram over here, and then the southern kingdom of Judah. And it's coming down trying to get them. So that makes Israel kind of nervous because it's first in line. Aram's there as well. It's kind of nervous. And of course, Judah's a bit nervous as well. And so what uh, we read of happening here in uh, verse 1 and also in verse 2 is there's an alliance formed between the king of Aram and the king of Israel. And they also, it's not said there in the text, but they invite the southern kingdom, Ahaz, to join them in an alliance against Assyria. So you've got three kingdoms going to go and fight against Assyria. But of course, Ahaz pulls out. He doesn't want to be in the alliance. So then that makes Israel and Aram very nervous because they've got Assyria coming from the top and they've got Judah underneath, potentially an enemy as well. And so what do they do? They decide to to take out Judah while they've got a chance so that when Assyria comes, they haven't got an attacker coming from underneath. And that's what's happening here in verse 1. Hope you're able to follow all that. Gives you a bit of historical background. But that's what's happening here in verse 1. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, southern kingdom, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem. So they combined forces to come down and get Jerusalem. But they could not overpower it. So they weren't successful, their first attempt to take over Jerusalem. They did cause some pretty significant damage. You can read about that in 2 Kings. But they weren't able to take over Jerusalem. So Ahaz is safe. But then verse 2 happens. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, 
So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. So here we have this threat come from the king of Israel, Pekah, Aram. They're coming down and they're coming again to attack Jerusalem. And so this is my first main point about a threat coming to Jerusalem. So then that leads into what is the response of King Ahaz to this renewed threat. And that's my second main point this morning, the wrong response to the threat. So if you didn't follow my first main point, this is where you can start following along. Just understand a threat, a military threat has come to Jerusalem, and now we're going to see the response of this king of Judah. What is he going to do? Well, he shows us the wrong response. He shows us what not to do when we're threatened by someone or something coming against us. What's the wrong response? Well, he responds by being emotionally unsettled. Verse 2, Now the house of David, that's the house of Judah, the kingdom of Judah, was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. He becomes emotionally unsettled. He's shaken. His heart is shaken. And to such an extent that he's described as a leaf shaking in the wind. If you have big trees around you, particularly gum trees, the leaves just dangle there, and they really have no direction of their own. They're completely subjected to the forces around them, and particularly the force of wind. We have a massive gum tree in our backyard, and the leaves there are always dangling, and they make quite a sound when the wind comes along, because they have no attitude of their own, they have no will of their own against that wind. They completely blow in the wind. And this is what Ahaz and his heart are like. When a threat comes, he's just waving in the wind. He doesn't know what to do. He feels this threat and it just completely subjects him. There's no uh, resisting this threat. It's just completely moving him. And not just him. Is it just Ahaz that is moved emotionally here by this threat? No. And his people were shaken, it says there in the text as well. So his family, his advisors, the court officials, all the people around him there... They're all shaking in the wind. They don't know what to do. They're being completely overwhelmed by this threat as it comes. And then we see that he's not just emotionally unsettled, he actually starts to do stuff. What does he do? Well, it's there in verse 3. It says, Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son Shehazashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. What's Ahaz up to? Well, he's out there at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. What's he doing out there? Well, he's starting to get ready for this siege that he expects to come. He expects Aram and Israel to come down and they're going to besiege his city. They're going to surround it. And what happens when you're cut off from all surroundings around and they come, this army comes around your city? We start to run out of stuff. You start to run out of food and you start to run out of water. You can only last so long uh, without water. You can last a bit longer without food. But water is critical. And so what's Ahaz up to? Well, he's securing that water source for himself there. 
the aqueduct there is outside uh, Jerusalem, and so what he's actually trying to do is cut off that supply uh, well, or redirect it into the city. And so uh, when the uh, Syrian, uh, not the Assyrians, the uh, Arameans and the Israelites come down, they won't have access to water. He'll have uh, cut it all off, and so he'll have the water for himself, and they won't have water, and so hopefully the army will run out of water rather than him running out of water, and so he will win the battle. So here he is, he's out there trying to protect himself. And it's the wrong way to go. Yes, it is important to take practical measures to protect yourself, but of course this is the first thing that we see him doing. Do we see him going to God and asking God what would he do? Does he cry out to God? Does he consult the prophets? No, he's out there at the aqueduct doing his thing. Yes, God sends his prophet out to him, but he's already out there at the aqueduct working out what he's going to do. He's there trying to save himself and protect himself rather than looking to God. So that's the wrong response. What's the right response? What does God say Ahaz should do? Well, that's my third main point this morning, the right response to the threat. God sends a prophet with this right response. We see that in verse 3. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Isaiah is the prophet, of course, Go out, you and your son, Shear Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. So he sends this prophet, and this prophet has some advice to give. I just want to look at... Uh, it's a fair bit of advice there. I just want to look at uh, three things that he says to him at the beginning of verse 4. We'll get to the next in following weeks. Verse 4, what is the advice from God? Be careful. Keep calm. And don't be afraid. Afraid. Three things. Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. First thing, be careful. In the original, it's watch yourself. Guard yourself. What's God telling Ahaz to do? Well, be wise. Don't do anything dumb. Watch yourself. Watch what you're doing. Whereas if you're a leaf swinging in the wind, you're not watching yourself. You're letting the wind dictate you. You've got to take some uh, stand, some firm action. Watch yourself. Watch what you're doing. Be wise. Then he also says, keep calm. Keep calm. What does that mean? Well, be at peace. Don't go forming evil alliances with Israel if they come down or with the Assyrians as they come down. Keep calm. Be at peace. Be at rest. Don't get all upset. Don't get all into a tizzy about this. Stay calm, stay quiet. And then the last thing is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And we all know what it means to be afraid, to be scared of something. But God says to him, don't be afraid. Don't be scared of these two armies coming down. Don't be scared of even the Assyrian army above those coming down. Don't be afraid. Now, that's all very well to say to someone uh, in the face of trouble, isn't it? To say, uh, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. Well, why would you listen to God when he says those kinds of things? Well, in the following weeks, we're going to find out more detail as to why uh, Ahaz should be careful, calm, and not be afraid. But there's a little hint given there in the text as to why Ahaz shouldn't be afraid. And that's tied up in the name of Isaiah's son. 
It's interesting that Isaiah was sent with his son. Did you see that there in verse 3? Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shear Jashub. Is he taking his son out there because his mum was occupied and so he needed to give his mum a break that day and so take the child off mum's hands? Is that why God said, take your son with you? Or is the son training as an apprentice and so he needs to go out and... Or is it because he's going to the king? And so, you know, everybody likes to see a king. Take your son with you and he can have a, a gander at the king. No. I think the reason he took his son is tied up with the name of that son. What's the name of that son? Shear Jashub, Yashuv, which, if you don't know Hebrew, the NIV has nicely translated for you. If you see the little letter C there, in the, you follow that down to the margin, which is uh, in the Black Church Bibles, end of the three lines from the bottom, or the third line, middle line, you see it translated there. Shear Jashub means a remnant will return. A remnant will return. Shear being uh, a remnant, and Yashuv to turn, to turn back. A remnant will come back. There's a promise there to Ahaz that a remnant will return to the land. A remnant will stay there in the land. That no matter what happens, God will preserve his people and a remnant, a remaining part of God's people, will be there in the land. And that's a good reason to... Be careful, keep calm, and not be afraid. God has everything in control, as we'll see in subsequent weeks as well. But there's a little hint there that no matter what happens, a remnant will remain in the land. And so Ahaz should listen to God's advice. And be careful, keep calm, and not be afraid. So that's Ahaz. What about for you? What's the lesson here for you? Well, threats still come, and that's my fourth main point. Threats still come. Threats are not something that are just unique to the days of Ahaz. Threats still come. And they may not be military threats. You may not have any fear of an army coming and besieging your house, and so you have to make sure you have a good water supply, you fill up the bath before they arrive. You don't have that kind of concern, but you have other concerns, other threats. You might have financial threats. At the moment, there's lots of talk in the media about financial concerns this year, and that may scare you. The threat may be even of losing your job. And what will you survive on? Will you have water in the future because you lose your job? What will you pay? How will you pay your water bill? Will you have the same concern here as a heart that he needs to secure a water supply? You don't know what's going to happen in the future, and so you're threatened by that. You may have threats coming from family and friends, relationships, people saying nasty things to you and threatening to do things to you, maybe even take you to court for what you've done. And so you're scared in the face of those threats. And sometimes those threats are big threats on their own, like the Assyrian army coming down, he's a massive threat. Or sometimes it's little threats joining together that may be concerning you at the moment and becoming bigger, like... Israel joining with Aram, two little threats, becoming one big threat for Ahaz. And so it's not so much that you have one massive threat in your life, but you've got so many little ones from so many different people that you're starting to get quite worried. They're all sort of combining to make one big threat in your life, and you're not sure what you're going to do. So what are you going to do in the face of such threats? 
Well, firstly, what you shouldn't do. And that's my fifth main point this morning. Don't wrongly respond to threats. Don't be like a husk. Don't get emotionally unsettled. Don't wave in the wind like a gum tree leaf. When a threat comes, don't let it dictate you and get all upset and say, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then start curling up in some sort of ball of despair and being a drama queen about the threat that's come. Don't be emotionally unsettled. And don't start acting wrongly like a Haas did, where he went straight out to the water and he's trying to secure himself a water supply, trying to save himself. Don't immediately start trying to save yourself when you hear of threats coming. Start rushing from one project to another and you get someone's advice here about the threats and so you start doing that and then someone else advises the opposite and so you start going over there. You know, these people who, when a threat comes, they're constantly jumping at any piece of advice that anyone gives them. They're so desperate, they're so emotionally unsettled that they aren't doing anything well, they're doing lots of things badly. And so they're going to be swamped by the threat when it actually comes to fruition. Don't be like that. But what are you to do then? Well, my sixth main point is respond rightly to threats. Listen to God's counsel. God's advice is here. He has prophets who still speak to us today and they're contained in his word. And when threats come, when you're worried about things, listen to God's advice. That advice that is given to us in verse 4. Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Be careful, remember what that means. Guard yourself, make wise decisions. Keep yourself from making dumb decisions that will hurt you and hurt those around you. Be wise. Guard yourself. Keep calm. Be at peace. Faith is shown by being at peace in the face of adversity, in the face of danger. If you're peaceful, you're showing a strong faith. And that's what you should do if you're a Christian. You should be keeping calm and not being afraid. Not being afraid of the people around you. Now why would you do that? Why would you keep calm, be still and not be afraid in the face of adversity? It sounds a bit stupid to do those things without a good reason. Well... Next week, as we continue working through the text, we'll get more and more reasons. But remember the reason that was given there in Isaiah chapter three, uh, verse 7, verse 3. A remnant will return. There's a promise there. And that promise still holds true for us today. A remnant is a big idea in Isaiah, and it's a big idea in the whole of the Bible. That a judgment is coming where people will be tested for what they've done in this world but a remnant will be preserved. And that remnant is God's church. All those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ will be safe because their sins have been paid for at the cross. When you become a Christian, you repent of your sins, you acknowledge that you're a sinner, that you've done the wrong thing, that you often haven't been careful, you haven't kept calm, and you've often been afraid of others... You confess those things and you trust that Jesus paid for those sins at the cross, that he experienced the judgment that you deserve, the eternal punishment you deserve. And so you are the preserved remnant that will be for eternity in heaven. And that is the basis for you to be careful, 
Keep calm and not be afraid. Because you know the future. Whereas an ungodly person, a person who does not know God, who does not know God's word, does not know whether they're going to be preserved in the next life, rushes about trying to save themselves all the time. Because they don't know what the future is bringing. They don't know where they'll end up. And so they have to try and save themselves because if they don't do it, no one will. Whereas if you're a Christian, you know the future. You know what's going to happen. You know you will be preserved as a remnant. You will return to the earth, the new heavens and the new earth, and live in eternal happiness with God himself. And so that means you can do what he says here. Be careful, keeping calm and not being afraid. You don't have to be afraid of other people because no matter what they do to you, you're a safe remnant. You will return. God will preserve you. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that you shouldn't get upset or it shouldn't make you uneasy when threats come. It means and being here and when the threat comes it doesn't mean that you suddenly remove all kinds of emotions about that threat at all no it is right to be uneasy in the face of threats and i think jesus is a great example of our, uh, for us of someone who faced severe pain a severe threat coming and the action that he took what is that when he was going to the cross he was disturbed he was grieved You read those last hours before he's arrested. He is deeply troubled about the threat coming. But what does he do? He goes to his father. He's there deep in prayer. He's trying to get his disciples to pray with him, to have some support there. But he himself is deep in prayer. He's not trying to save himself. He's going to his father and asking what his father would have him do and saying, not my will, but yours be done. He's troubled, but he's keeping calm. And in the end, he's not afraid because he knows his loving and having father will resurrect him, will look after him, and he'll be in right relationship with him again. And so it is right to be uneasy. I'm troubled about homosexual marriage coming and me ending up in jail. It troubles me. Many things trouble me. But I've got to remember that ultimately I have to be careful, keep calm and not be afraid because I am part of a godly remnant and I will be safe because I've repented of my sins and believed in Jesus and so the punishment that I deserve is removed and I am safe. If you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, then you should be like a heart. You should be very worried because you do not know that you will return. In fact, if you're going to read the Bible, you start to wonder whether it might be true that one day you will be judged for your sins and you will be held eternally in hell paying for those sins. If that is you, you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I encourage you, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins and believe in his death for you. There is no greater peace that is known here on earth than to be a part of God's family and know that ultimately everything will be okay. Yes, as a Christian, you'll still be uneasy, but you have peace with God and you have peace for eternity. If you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I encourage you, put your trust in Jesus Christ. Believe in him 
so that you become part of this godly remnant and so when threats come, you're not afraid because you know you'll be safe for eternity. But if you are a Christian and you might be experiencing a threat right now, or you might be experiencing multiple threats all sort of gathering together and you're uneasy about those, what are you going to do? I want to ask you that this morning. What are you doing at this point in time? Are you doing what God says you should do, what he advises Ahaz here? Do you watch yourself when threats come, that you make wise decisions rather than just jumping at any piece of advice and blowing in the wind like a gum tree leaf? Do you stay at peace, reminding yourself that you have peace with God? Do you stay not afraid, knowing that you have nothing to fear from those around you? Because God is with you and he will be with you for eternity because you are part of his remnant and you will return to the promised land. Let us speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we see here your advice in the face of threats and so often we do not follow it. We are not careful, we don't keep calm, and we do fear those around us. Lord, we pray that we may follow the example of Christ, that he may be our goal, that when we are troubled by threats, we may indeed be upset, we may be deeply troubled, but we don't wave in the wind. We know that... We have a loving Heavenly Father that looks down upon us and everything ultimately will be all right. We pray that when threats come, our first response will not be to save ourselves, but to cry out to you for help and advice. And then we will act according to your wishes and not our wishes. Lord, we pray that you may forgive all those times where we have not done what you have asked us to do. We pray that we may be forgiven through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and know that we then are a part of that remnant that will return. We thank you that you do preserve a remnant you did not need to, but you in your mercy have. And we thank you that we can be a part of it and that knowing that helps us to be careful, to keep calm and not be afraid. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.